0: And hello, everybody. Welcome to the supply chain talk. Hello. Good to see some new faces, I think, this week. Um, last time we were here uh, was my colleague, Duncan Brock, and he was presenting a fantastic, interesting session on innovative packaging packaging solutions. Um, And we had a couple of really great speakers and I think uh, those of you that attended, I think really enjoyed it, which I think is is lovely. Um, This week we're going to be talking about something that's very close to my heart um, and probably all of yours as well because we've been going through quite a lot of change recently and we're going to be looking at how we enable our teams uh, to adapt and thrive. Uh, in this environment of constant change. Um, For those of you that are new to the supply chain talk, um, we're not gonna have any fancy presentations or any funky slideshows, anything like that, just great talk uh, with really interesting people. Uh, I've got a couple of really great guests this week um, that both of them have planning in their titles. So we're gonna, I'm sure, talk a little bit about planning. Um, And the way that we manage it is that uh, every week we uh, we will have a, a news item Um, and we've got a good one for you this week. Um, And we'll have a bit of time talking about that for about 20 minutes, talking about the news item and and its relevance. Um, And then we've got a few interesting questions and we're gonna sort of drill down into the specifics. the two guests that we've got are, are from uh, a couple of different areas, from Avon and from Mars, so we're going to um, talk to them in a minute. Um, we really, really encourage you to get involved with the chat, um, so if you've got anything that you want to talk to each other or talk to us about, please dive into the chat. And if you've got any questions you want to ask, please put that in the Q&A, and we will be delighted to answer them. And um, if there's anything in there, I don't know how to answer, I will pass that on to the panel as well. Um, every week we also have this beautiful mug um, that we give out and I'll, I will be giving that out to the person that I think has contributed the best. Um, obviously uh, my judgment is final so uh, so nobody contesting that but I will get back to you and um, we will make the decision and we'll let you know right at the end. Um, so um, without any further ado, uh, hello Esra. nice to see you again. Eshwyl is one of our uh, regulars um, at the Supply Chain Talk, so lovely to see you again. I think I gave you a mug last time you were on, which was brilliant. Um, So without any further ado, I'm going to invite Agnes um, to come and talk to us. Hello, Agnes. Hello. Are you there, Agnes? If you come and join us that'll be brilliant. Uh, you're more than welcome Eshwar. Yep. I think Agnes might be having a problem joining us. No, Okay, what I will do then is um, let's have a chat to um, Robert. Robert do you want to come and join us for a second? Hello, are you there? Hello Robert. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. A long time no speak. We actually had a quick chat last night, didn't we?
1: Yeah, very briefly. Yeah, very briefly. Very and well good. well done Eshwar on uh, winning the mug as well.
0: Yeah, excellent. Brilliant. Okay. So Agnes will join us in a second, but Robert, would you like to say a bit about yourself and a, a little quick bit about your background?
1: That'd be lovely. Uh, first up, apologies to the audience. Got a slight sore throat, but hey, uh, resilience in supply chain. This is the first part, turning up. Um, Robert Ford, um, live with my partner, Melanie, have two children, worked in supply chain for about 10 years in various roles. Um, I'm found to be a problem person who chases problems. So I started off in the planning department um, and production, weren't making what I wanted. So I moved into production, managing and forecasting, demand planning. So I'm a person who generally t- tries to find problems in supply chains and rather than point and see. I tend to go find and educate myself in it. So yeah, I've done various roles uh, and I've been with Mars now for about five years as a consultant, as well as a full-time
0: associate. Brilliant, thank you very much, Robert. That's fantastic. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about the uh, article Um, that we shared around Um, and uh, you know a lot of the articles we've been reading recently are all about you know talking about problems and issues that we've been having Um, and actually I think for us it's just some more excitement um, and makes things more interesting for us as supply chain professionals Uh, not least with what's been happening Uh, With some of the things that have have been happening recently with our friend COVID. Um, So, this article has a bit of reference to that as well. Um, And we're using an article um, around uh, battered, uh, called Battered Supply Chains, which I think is quite uh, evocative, um, and how um, Port Shanghai has been continually going back into lockdown. Um, you know, causing real genuine issues, uh, both to the manufacturing of the goods, but also getting the goods uh, out of China and uh, and how do we um, make our supply chains a little bit more resilient. Um, so a lot of problems with supply chain disruptions, um, things like port closures um, and things like that, which we will talk about in a minute. Also, the impact, uh, we've all seen the impact if we've been working in, um, technology supply chain, so things like semiconductors and things like that. Um, There's a really great visual uh, on the state of the ships waiting to go into ports. Uh, I think we were looking at it yesterday, Robert, weren't we? Um, And I don't know if our supply chain talk elf might be able to put up that visual for us, that'd be great. Uh, The great thing about the, the particular visual is that basically it shows the world Um, with a million dots all across the globe of where ships are actually sitting, uh, waiting to go into ports. And if you get a chance to have a look at it, I think that would be really good uh, for you to do that. Um, And at the time of the article, uh, there was about 477 cargo ships waiting to go into into dots, which actually, if you compare that to the Suez Canal issue is probably not too bad because I think when the uh, blockade hit the Suez Canal uh, there was at least 500 ships trying to get through the canal um, so actually you know perhaps it's not as bad as we thought but who knows if you've been waiting for your goods it probably is quite bad. Um, in that particular article there was a, a good statement from Well uh, Panfield wasn't there Robert?
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. Rob Hanfield was you know, very clearly pointing out that um, supply chain normalcy is not going to return very quickly. It's going to take some time, at least 2024, to return. Um, and, and it also pointed out the varying levels of how we manage our supply chain, uh, the quick turnaround impact of validating suppliers if we want to do knee shoring, and actually then the long-term uh, long-term incentives to really localize your production, localize your manufacturing, and the impact that will have on like local economies. Uh, Globalization is a wonderful thing, but the Suez Canal is a a geographical disaster, you would have said. At the time, it really kind of put supply chain under a lot of pressure. So, yeah, is is localization the way forward? I don't know. Uh, I do like the idea of having access to the world and the platform it provides.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, you know, more opportunities. I think um, in there, though, you were talking about shifting, um, you know, actually looking to other places like Mexico and things like that, too. Um, to perhaps source from, so a lot nearer to where they were sourcing it across to China. So it does opposite op- open up opportunities, don't you think? Bob?
1: Yeah, it certainly does. You know, if you, if you look at Mexico's economy, um, you know, from a lower cost labor point of view, it's a fantastic place to to, to really put your manufacturing. But it's not just about getting that low cost labor. It's about increasing the economy within that area, lowering your containerization kind of cost from China to US. It's huge. I think it's gone from around a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars, way up to eight thousand dollars. You know, you're essentially paying the exact same service charge, just the same distance. So I think it's really important that we do bring a sheer uh near shoring uh just kind of the surface but you know um again this is the long term it's not going to be turned around on the diamonds uh as robert hanfield said but i think it's important to to build it into future resilience that we yeah exactly exactly um i have got uh, i'm just
0: trying to I'm looking. um so One of the questions I've got already from Esra, so what what do you think the best-in-class practices do you think are already evolving from some of these things that are happening, Robert?
1: Um, I think best-in-class practice, you know, and uh, um, I don't like to toot the horn about the, um, uh, the politics generally, but if we look at, for example, what we did on COVID vaccinations, there was a lot of quick validations of suppliers, validations of vaccinations coming through. I think if you take that as an example and apply it to supply chain, it's how quickly we're able to turn around suppliers now. A lot of businesses that I have seen and uh, you know, colleagues that, that work for other companies, they're validating suppliers in six to eight weeks when generally it's sort of 12, 18, 24, 24 weeks of validation. They're really starting to kind of like streamline that process and if anything, really pull out the the non necessities and really focus on the key components. You know, keeping cost good, keeping efficiency, quality and health and safety, I think are the most important parts. Um, but I've, yeah, I, I think for me, definitely within Mars, I've seen validations of suppliers happen a lot quicker and how quickly we can turn the dial on, uh, setting up a rapeseed supplier compared to a, you know um, uh, an oil supplier over here. It's been fantastic.
0: That's really interesting, actually. So really focusing on the things that are really important um, and, and sort of stripping out anything that perhaps is that extra thing that we often ask for from our suppliers. Um, so that we can actually turn around that uh, supplier pre-qualification, et cetera, a bit quicker than perhaps we've done in the past. Yeah, yeah that's interesting, actually. I, know, I noticed in the article as well, um, Rob was talking about, oh, not just Rob, but others in the article about how we then incentivize uh, our suppliers. Do you do any um, incentivization, um, you know, particularly through, I don't know, through contracting through relationships, uh, where you are, Rob and Miles
1: but myself personally what i what i've always done when i did um, sort of buying and, and the commercial aspect was incentivize of being really transparent with like the five year ten year planter suppliers. um you know i'm i I'm, I'm not a i'm not a I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist i keep the same car insurance company i have for ten years i generally not incentivized to move for 30 pounds here 40 pounds there i I like the service i get it comes at the right price for me um i kind of pass that on through suppliers when i'm looking at suppliers to bring them on board i'm looking at will they support us on the five to ten year plan it's not get the money and get the cost of service goods right now because you're revalidating suppliers on a yearly cycle two yearly cycle i'm quite a traditionalist i like to keep the supply chain somewhat stable Uh, you know and definitely this things like covid that's kind of turned the dime, the new Russia conflict in Ukraine, that certainly opened up some commodity issues we've had. So again, you're revalidating new suppliers.
0: Yeah. Very good. Okay. And that's what I was asking actually, can, do you think we're going to see more sort of mergers and acquisitions um, and perhaps more stability rather than racing around between supply chains and things like that? Um,
1: I, I would like to think so um you know uh, again you, you only have to look at like the food industry generally or fmcg the top 20 companies and how many brands they generally own and how many different mini companies that they're acquiring to to again build their portfolio the benefit of that is a network that's already set up and a clear pool of suppliers that they're pulling from and if you're using the same suppliers you can give them you know uh, more volume you know, which, which drives then better service, better engagement on relationships. So I do think we're going to see more and more acquisitions moving away from SMCG. Tesla's just basically bought Twitter. And again, that's a clear move from a technology company based around electric cars moving into a social media platform. What's that going to be used for in the future? I don't know, but I, th- I think, yeah, I think across the board in all sectors, acquisitions will become more important in 10 years. Um it's, it's a shame for me. I do like smaller businesses popping up and holding their own in the markets. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, because yeah, yeah, we went through a stage of really encouraging that, don't we? Yeah, or we did as, as organisations, and it's nice to see that, actually. And, th- and that, that you know, it creates much more sort of diversity within, that, within the supply chain. Which is a nice thing to have. Well, what about? Uh, I mean, one of the interesting things I thought in the article as well was, you know, the influence of of governments. So, you know, US US Gov obviously pushing for uh, more near sourcing um, to organisations and and actually, to, you know, incentivising people to do that as well. But you know, governments generally, do you think we'll we'll see more influence um, around you know from governments in the the way that we do our sourcing?
1: I think the bigger the bigger these companies get, uh, tech companies, FMCG companies, the more the government has to look to regulate the monopoly that they're potentially getting. And with that, they can also look at regulating the monopoly, let's say, but they can also be champions and ambassadors of that company. When you're starting relationships with suppliers, being a small supplier into a larger scale, it can be very difficult unless you have somebody backing you locally, like a local MP, a local government official. If you can bring them on board that's part of the package you're providing. You're providing, you know, government backing, government funding potentially through the, the elements of grants. So I think governments getting involved in business is really important. As long as they understand the business they're starting to regulate and try and help, um, you know, yeah, that's that's super key for me.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and collaboration, you know, collaboration is such a, a, a big issue um, these days as well. So, I mean, how much does uh, Mars collaborate across supply chains? Do you get? Do you find you're, you're doing a lot more collaboration these days? And uh, and you know, how how's that changing the way that you manage those relationships?
1: So, so, uh, Mars have five principles. One of them is mutuality. Um, it's, you know, really about kind of setting the, setting the scene for both what you expect from a, from a relationship, from a contract, but also what the supplier expects in my current role now, where we have coal uh, co-manufacturers, we're really open, really transparent. We have uh, quarterly engagement sessions where we're really talking about the future of our brand as if it was part of their business. Mm. Um. I've kind of seen Mars maintain that great mutual approach in all the relationships and all the contractual approaches that we're doing. Um, mm. Again, it's more difficult in smaller businesses who are sort of, you know, fighting day to day, just to kind of make enough money and kind of look, you know, make a sensible P and L and make enough profit. Um, mm. Mars are very, you know, very big business. And from a, my point of view, I love the mutuality principle. Um, again, it sets the supplier up for success because if they're not successful, You'll have a fault in your supply chain, but it also brings stability to your supply chain so you don't have to deal day to day issues. So, yeah, it's really important.
0: Yeah, that's that's key. It's funny, I was doing some training this week with some students, and one of the things we would talk about was, was force majeure in contracts. And, you know, the more that we identify some of these, um, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about black swan events. So the more that we're finding out about these events that have a real impacts on supply chains, um, obviously the our uh, legal teams are crawling all over our contracts to make sure that we sort of strengthen things like force majeure and, and you begin to see that uh, have an impact and, and becoming an exclusion, things like no more pandemics, you know, you know, hands up, uh, you know, no more, um, uh, you know, uh, marine uh, waterway issues, you know, will suddenly become, find its way into the force majeures. Um, so, you know, what, what sort of, how do you think that's gonna impact on, uh you know the contracts that we develop and the you know in contract management for the future.
1: I I think there's only so much you can make black and white before you start it starts looking like one of those mortgage um forms that you have to fill in and it's yeah. language that you just don't understand. And for, for for me, you know um it's it's about having um what you would say in the past as a, a gentleman's agreement. It's a clear, common agreement. We're both on the same page. And I yeah. think there's only so much you can put on paper without knowing that I trust in my supplier to, in a moment like a force majeure, they're not going to pass on the full cost of that to the customer. They're going to absorb some themselves. Um, yeah. I've definitely seen that when it comes to my own personal bills. So I'm with a provider who's actually bought ahead of the market from an energy point of view. So I'm not getting a, a price increase in April. I'll get it in October. So yeah. they're taking some of the impact away from their customers, which is great. They've certainly, got my buy in in October because I'm now going to stay with them. I'm not going to go fight the market and try and find the best deal. So, I think companies need to really focus on less of the black and white, and legal teams would kill us for saying that. You know, it, it's about relationships, it's about people. Um, take away the paper, you've still got two people. So, yeah, yes.
0: brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that Omar, because that's kind of what I think as well. I've been saying that for years, but you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, um, and you know, I, I suppose one of the things that's come out of that article that I find quite interesting as well is that you'll begin to go to um, different marketplaces to source products from, and those markets have. Very different cultures, different ways of working, different practices um, as well. Um, you know, Mexico and China being very very different in many many respects. So you've got to start thinking, and we, we're all doing this now. We, you know, obviously speaking and thinking even more closely about um, uh, equality and diversity uh, and, and diverse supply chains. So, you know, do you think that's having an impact on us as supply chain professionals and? You know, what do we what should we be thinking about
1: <laughs> definitely onboarding different suppliers from different regions and you know, going into different markets with different expectations both culturally and from a functional process point of view um the big thing about me within like uh, a business like mars you know um, 110 a people spread across the world 100 factories i get to speak to people from different countries and different expectations every day so from my point of view, how I approach change or the element of change and how I collaborate is very different with people from France to people in America. Um, I think you've just got to be very open. I think there needs to be more investment in the people training elements of bringing other countries on board, rather than like you say, a legal team being really super scrupulous about the, um, the, the ins and outs and the legal terminology, mm-hmm. invest in the people because I, I'm very fortunate such a big business Mars is. I get to speak to people from different cultures every day and I'm learning to mature on how I approach change with a different country, a different culture than Mm. I would with my local team. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be, um, more difficult. Globalization has already, for me, I'd say somewhat hit a peak at times and it feels like we're kind of like, it's the norm at the moment. We're not. We're not going to see uh, further expansion of global supply chains, like you say. I think now nearshoring is starting to be, we've expanded. We're now starting to come back in, and we'll see where that kind of sits and lies. Um, but it definitely, yeah, investing your people from a change management point of view. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I. I, I suppose
0: sort of my one of my. Um, I don't know if there's a concern about that, but one of the um, conversations we often have is around how well we know our tier one, uh, beyond our tier one suppliers, Uh, you know, because quite often we really know our tier one suppliers really well, but, you know, we don't know beyond that, so, you know, um, so what's your uh, experience of that and, you know, and how do you, how do you do that?
1: How do you drill, drill, drill down into your supply chains a bit more? Yeah. So so, so um, I, I worked for a business previously, uh, a dairy business called Urile, uh based in the UK. They're, they're a French subsidiary. Um, mm. They're owned by two uh, conglomerates, Uriel and Later, uh, mm. and they had 3,000 farms. And what, what, what I actually found within our actual commercial team is while we were um, a subsidiary and we used to bring in kind of like wheels um, of cheese and kind of cut them and pack them mm. to the format we by the supermarkets, we were visiting the farms, we were looking at kind of like the dairy business as a whole. Uh, There was a lot of uh, lobbying for dairy uh, regulation and legislation in France, which then would impact the the UK imports. So I think as we diversify our supply chain, um, it's super important, like you said, to go further back down the chain. There's one company that stands out for me at the moment called um, Tony's Chocoloni, who a fantastic bit of work in the end-to-end supply chain on uh, cocoa sourcing. Um, it's a completely open-source book of you can approach them and they will give you the, the five or six principles they source by because they want people to be on board on that journey. Uh, and it really starts with farmers living a good life all the way through to then passing on a, a product with a meaning and a purpose to our, to the customer. So, yeah, I, I've seen it in various businesses and I'm, I'm inspired by a lot of that.
0: Yeah, no, that's brilliant, actually. I mean, I think, you know, probably me, you, and everybody else on this call, I think sustainability and all of the issues that encompasses such an important part of, um, you know, supply chain manager, procurement person's DNA now, you know, we have to think about um, sustainability and the impact that we're making as well. Um, so and that's I was whole has actually asked, you know, the whole thing about sustainability, where do you see the role of our supply chains um, to, you know, to, to deal with sustainability? Big question, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's it's a huge question. Sustainability. Um, you know, I, I'm a keen advocate for, you know, making big statements of, are we going to change the world in a day? It's not going to happen. And I think it's really about the fundamentals of what you do at home. An example of what I did at home and I shared it with my team recently was I get a Starbucks often. It's my sort of uh, little treat. Uh, you know, I sit in the car and I enjoy it. Um, but I kept on getting the plastic cup. So I went and got one of those uh, reusable cups where you get a bit of a discount, which is a lovely perk. And -hmm. again, it's like, that's one fundamental step. Okay, I'm going to make the effort on a Saturday to really split down my cardboard and strip away the additional layers of plastic. So I think educating our children to do it now will be the next generations of suppliers. I think trying to involve the supply chains that we have now is going to take a long time. Just making fundamental changes of, do we really need to change the package on our item every two years from a marketing and a sales point of sense is that really what the customer wants or does the customer if you want to get the customer in, i can change the packaging to make it look super appealing to you but it's going to come at a cost and the cost will be generally the environment is that what you would like to see so being again really open really transparent in what you're doing i think is important and that's where you're really going to win consumer uh, consumers on board
0: yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so we're struggling to get Agnes back at the moment. So we've got the supply chain Elf is out there um, trying to bring her back, but it's, uh, it's um, she's fainting miserably at the moment, unfortunately. I don't know what's happening there, but anyway, she, she's, got, she's going to do her best to bring her back, and then we can uh, perhaps go back to Agnes and ask her a few more uh, her view um, from an Avon's point of view on, on what we've been talking about in the article, so, um So I, I want to kind of expand on some of the things we've been talking about and um, perhaps move on to um, the main event, um, which is the whole thing about enabling our teams and for their to, to adapt and thrive um, in all this change. Um, a few weeks ago, I was hosting a supply chain talk and I was chatting to a gentleman from, uh, called Brian Palmer Uh, from Canaxis Um, and it was really interesting because we were talking about the importance of uh, data and, um, and, and, you know, can we actually forecast uh, a black swan event. So that whole thing about early warning signs, um, you know, tracking patterns and trends um, and, and, you know, can we genuinely recognise when shifts in, you know, custom demand um, is going to happen. And and you know, and if so, what do we do about it? You know, and I just wondered, you know, what, what's Mars doing and, and how do you you know, how do you deal with that and, and have you managed to predict these things that have hit us recently?
1: So COVID no. I, don't, I think that surprised everyone. That was a huge surprise. But what it's actually set about now is we, uh, business continuity management is a huge thing for businesses, that resilience planning. It can also be seen as a, do we really need to sit down and actually do this because everything's working as it needs to be? And actually what COVID really did was highlight those plans aren't in place. Things stop and they just stop really hard there's no traction at all so I think we're definitely going to see more businesses really set about um, trying to forecast that event and if they aren't able to give the tools or the skill sets to their associates to see that and actually foresee that you know none of us have a a crystal ball what are the fundamental processes and skills we need in place to manage that I think I've seen more businesses hire change management experts I've definitely seen more business uh, businesses hire more health and wellbeing specialists, you know, Mm. essentially when that big change comes, absolutely businesses will stop, but the impact on the person is the people that are going to restart the company. So again, you know, you see health practitioners being brought in, you see a real focus on uh, giving people the tools to not Mm. predict the future, but be ready and resilient to take it on no matter what comes before them. Um, Mm. So yeah, that's been super important to me personally. Um, You know, I've worked in demand planning and, Someone gave me the advice of, if you get the forecast right, you're lucky. And if you get it wrong, you're just wrong. So you're never right in forecasting. Uh, that's what I've been told. So uh, for me, it's, I have the tool set to be resilient when those moments happen, and I know what I need to do to overcome them. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so, so from a business point, so let's think about the higher level business here. What do you think the business needs to put in place to be able to do that for us, to ensure that we are that resilient? Um, so so, so I, think,
1: I think the dynamic we have now is like, for example, um, we're all working from home. Generally, there's a lot of remote working. There's no expectation to be in the office as such anymore. That switch has definitely changed. Now, if I was to be in a crisis mode right now, and want my team around me in this very room, and we would just huddle and try and sort it. Hmm. We need to enable through technology or through um, uh, working collaboration hubs set up specifically for that. So if we go into a crisis, we know we bring people together physically face to face. You just can't beat, you know, you, you resolve problems a lot quicker. I find, um, yeah. I, I think that needs to happen. Uh, geographically. We need to, again, be bringing our uh, supply chains a little bit closer or, or the, or those that manage our supply chains a little bit closer. Um, and, and again, I think leadership is super important. We mentioned that we mentioned the government, they're getting involved in a kind of businesses and kind of being an ambassador for those businesses. I think, Having somebody at the forefront of public kind of persona, really driving home the message of like, be resilient and, you know, change is a good thing. When things happen, you know, stand up, hold your ground and it will be okay. And here are the services such as health and well being, and, you know, retreat time. I think that's super important. Mars have a fantastic leadership group. The family are super involved in the business. So I know that on moments of when like this is going to happen, Grant Reed, the CEO is going to step up. And he will say something and even just hearing that is brilliant Mm. because you're not just in it on your own there is other there are other people looking at it at a higher level um so just kind of being a beacon of hope is really important i think in businesses
0: yeah i think I, I, i totally agree with that actually um and i think you know if that can if you are giving people space I think that's a a really important thing when when things are really going on because we've known I mean for years uh, I can't remember when the book shift happens came down but I mean for years we've been talking about the fact that you know change just happens um, and then we need to deal with it I just think you know probably recently that some of the changes that we've seen have have been global globally impactful so we've all experienced it all at the same time And, and, and I think that's been quite a eye-opener for people and um you know I've, I've certainly experienced you know people having much more empathy with one another across the supply chain because we're all in the same issue aren't we yeah
1: yeah and, and definitely and actually one of the one of the experts i would always recommend anyone go read or, or watch a ted talk or even go go see them in person is a is a researcher named brene brown a uh, huge empathy expert a uh, vulnerability expert um, I recently read her book, to Lead, uh, mm-hmm. essentially kind of means like, you know, um, a leader isn't just that, uh, the, the beacon who uh, talks the most or, or, or has the image. Uh, a, a leader is somebody who really kind of takes responsibility for developing the potential both in people and the process. Mm-hmm. And not only that, that they can see that and take responsibility, but they have the courage to make it happen. It's so yeah. easy to try and develop people at a nice, slow pace, thinking I'm just going to go safe. Take the courage, be vulnerable, be willing to make mistakes. Um, So I think empathy, vulnerability are super important in us as people before the business. And the more more we educate people on that, like be courageous, it's okay. You know, Mm. if someone's beating you while you're in the arena, be grateful you're in the arena. You know, I, I look at the person on the outside saying, you're doing that you know I'm, yes. I'm in admiration of the purple being the person being beaten right now that's incredible so yeah i think i think we need to educate our leaders in doing that in the future i'm fortunate my girlfriend's a counselor she has hugely matured me as a person doing that type of approach um i don't know if i would have been the same if i've not met my partner so huge yeah. credit to her yeah. um so yeah
0: yeah, the unique people are there, aren't right? you, do Definitely.
1: Definitely um, a supply chain when it can be very data-driven, very analytical, very operational. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to forget someone's delivering it. Someone has a child, someone has a family, someone has a purpose, a purpose outside of work, um, yeah. you know, and, and being okay with that.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. My girlfriend's very empathetic, so she's really good at saying, you know, just think about that from a different point of view." Yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah, excellent. So, um, Esra's asking lots of brilliant questions this afternoon. So, thanks, Esra. You're, you're, you know, you're asking some great questions. One of his, his what what kind of forecasting method? Um, Do you think is probably the best for, you know, sort of uh, identifying things like um, responsiveness and efficiency and things like that? You know, what would you do? And how how is forecasting and demand planning becoming even more relevant uh, in the world that we're now living in?
1: So I don't think too much has changed personally from what I've seen in how demand planning is being done. I actually think a lot of the resilience aspects of supply chain is your safety stock levels, your your ability to have a quicker turnaround on manufacturing. I don't think, you know, from what I've seen is when you look at a forecast accuracy and you look at, you know, how accurate the forecast is, again, it's a complete crystal ball. There's only so much we can do to we can get it to a point where 80% accurate, 90% accurate would be lovely. Mm-hmm. For me, I work really closely with my demand planning team on safety stock levels, minimizing production times. Like what can I do in the, the lean aspect of manufacturing to enable being inaccurate and being, uh, responsive to issues. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think if anyone can find the, the magic solution to perfect accuracy and forecast great place will be, um, you know, and when you look at just in time deliveries, you know, just in time deliveries were set up on a, exactly that right product, right time at the right price, COVID hugely disrupted that for me. I'm a big advocate for, for, for just in time because you know, it's very lean. It's very cost efficient, mm. but actually at the same time, there's a hell of a lot of pressure when that forecast is wrong. So for me, it's about enabling like that near shoring, your local manufacturing processes, having additional capacity in reserve, in warehousing, in distribution, and again, having backup plans. I'm a plan B, plan C type of person. Mm. Um, you know, plan A is great, but plan B is better.
0: Because it's it's the one you go to, um, so
1: yeah,
0: yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, actually, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, I was having a conversation recently about that the the whole sort of just in time, just in case, and you know, we talked a lot about and um, things like lean agile. You know, trying to be much more agile in a lean environment. You know, um, and I think up until recently probably we talked about it a lot, but now we've had, we have to be it and we have to do it. And I think in a minute we're going to talk about you know, what the skill sets are, you know, and Eshwar's asked about skill sets, and we definitely will have a conversation about the skill sets uh, in a second. But I just wanted to ask you um, about, um, you know, how how do we ready ourselves for this change then? Um, and, you know, how do we, and um, perhaps it goes back to some of the things we've just been talking about, but, you know, how, how do we drive, you um, and, and help our organization as procurement professionals or as in as supply chain professionals, how do we help our whole organization get ready for change?
1: Uh, for me, it starts with like perspective. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for, and I think I mentioned it in the way I approach, how I've learned supply chain is when there's a problem, work with the solution, like work to understand the solution, educate yourself because it's very easy when something happens and let's say we're in demand planning, and you've got manufacturing, the demand planning forecast is wrong. It's so easy for manufacturing, just a point. The Department of Demand Planning has got it wrong. I think really broadening the perspective of, like, everyone has a part to play, uh, really training our associates to have active listening skills and perspective on the wider business impact. I'm mm-hmm. a huge advocate for when I hear packaging changes are coming along. Mm-hmm. I, I start to really try and visualize, do you know how many cars that is in plastic? You know how many do you know how many boats that were being cardboard do we yeah. really want to be doing that so again bringing perspective being super active in our listening um you know you're not going to stop all change change is good but it's about filtering it through a broader perspective than your own i think you mentioned it earlier it's so easy when we look at our supply chain with supply chain lenses you have my partner's brilliant at just being the devil on my shoulder but have you thought about it this way or I haven't, maybe I should, I'll go for a walk and then I'll come back and then maybe I'll approach it differently. So again, yeah, I think perspective, active listening, um, and embedding those skills nice and early on in, in, in a person within an organization, traditionalism within work is huge within, uh, the British public. I would like to think, um, mm-hmm. you know, we love queuing. We like the way things are, yeah. but again, that that's a really hard thing to change. Um, so again, building those skills in in, in in the graduates that are coming through now, and those that are educating themselves. Um, I certainly do. I always ask my child to, you know, have a think about it. Is that how we're going to go forward? Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes I get told, you know, you speaking too much like an adult team, but I'm starting now. Because later it would be really beneficial. Um, and again, I think <clears throat> when we're starting to look at change and how we give people a skill set, move away from the analysis of the data. It's like, you know, don't be pulling out of um, you know, 50% of people this, uh, this period are really happy. 50% are really sad. Like data is really important. Move away from your graphs, move away from your presentations and focus on the, per- the person and have mm-hmm. one-to-one conversations of what they need from a skill set point of view. Do they have the right technology to help them? Is remote working going to be working for them during a heavy element of change? Or would they prefer to come in the office? Enable them to come into the office by paying for transport occasionally. There's loads of little things we can do to help our teams deliver.
0: Um, Very good. Yeah. No, no. I think you're absolutely right. Right. Well, you know. I think the um, the interesting thing about that, isn't it, is that um, so, you know people respond to change in so many different ways. Um, you know, and and actually um, trying to um, help people to not go into that horrible sort of shock screaming. Really concerned and worried, um, or you know, some people going through that sort of whole denial. It's never going to, never going to happen. Um, to me, you know, so how do we, um, you know, ensuring that we've got a culture that we've already built about change, you know, so that people understand it's going to happen and they don't go into that terrible shock um, stage where they get, you know. Paralysed by the by the change that's that's happening, um, and and, and there's some, you know, and that can be all sorts of things that happen. You know, and I mean, obviously, we're talking a little bit about black swan events here, but some of the little changes I think that sometimes happen in an organisation can be the biggest thing that affects individuals.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, 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 I think it really starts of you know, when I'm forming a team, I'm I, I'm I'm not looking for criteria as uh, gender, age. What I'm actually looking for is. How are they going to personally complement the other side? So, how is planning going to complement purchasing? How is purchasing going to complement manufacturing? And by complement, I mean sometimes, how can the devil tell the angel what it needs to be doing? So, like, how can you be really black and white or a completely different side of the equation? Huge diversification of kind of like your your experience within your team and experience at different levels. That for me has hugely helped. You know. Yeah. I, Sometimes I've brought a team together that on paper shouldn't work, but it does work because it's so complimentary. Um, Yeah, and I think, yeah, that for me is, is, is a huge thing. Right at the recruitment stage, being really clear, I'm not here just to recruit on paper what they can do. I'm here to recruit their resilience and their life experience, which is why a lot of the recruitment process I go through is a presentation on what's your proudest moment, is there a moment in your life what you wish you could have changed? And if you would change it, what would you have done? It's a real personal moment for them, but it helps me open up of like, okay, that's how they were approaching on a personal level. Now I think I know how they would apply it in business rather than tell me about a time when you've had good customer service. It's a great mm-hmm. question, but it doesn't tell me about them. But you know, I'm hiring a person. So, uh, yeah, and we just had a good shortage, uh, a question here actually from Ash yeah. around a uh, huge shortage in skilled manpower and how do we augment manpower shortages? I think again from for me using the manpower that you have i I come from a factory background of an operator on line one couldn't use line three why make the time to cross train them make the time for departments to be responsible for another area so quality food safety looking after operations for a week you know Mm. give them that perspective give them that opportunity um being really flexible in your geographical reach you know we have manpower shortages. I live in the countryside, Somerset. You've got Bath, Bristol, Taunton, Yeovil. They're your biggest places. Apart from that, it's little villages. Putting on, uh, putting on transport for them, bringing them in further afield, incentivising them through compensation packages to say we'll cover your transport cost. Essentially, that's why we've put the additional salary on. I think that's super important. Um, and then another thing I would also say when you when you actually are looking at uh, manpower is work with local colleges, further education, uh, and really put you on the radar. We don't do enough, I don't think, to really push the apprentice, uh, the apprentice uh, scheme within the UK. It's something that for me is, um, I think like maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, um, and I look at some of the peers that I've had, they've all come through apprentice schemes. Okay. They learn on the job. Um, and I really think, you know, Mars do a fantastic job in that. They have an apprentice scheme, they have a graduate scheme, and we have some fantastic leaders come out of them, some real functional experts. Engage locally your business with a local college. Give them an afternoon of an opportunity. You know, it pays dividends in the end. Uh, invest now to get later.
0: Uh, I totally, totally agree. And yeah. I think what I love about the, you know, the current apprenticeship <laughs> program is, is, is the whole thing about behaviours you know, uh, because, you know, often, you know, we can give people knowledge, uh, we can train people skills, but, you know, this whole thing is about encouraging, you know, different behaviors as well, uh, which as you said, in this time of change is, is really, really, really important for us. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, so um, one of the things that um, we should talk about um, is obviously when, you know, while we're leading, um, know organizations to to make changes we've got to think about new skill sets potentially um, and I just wondered you know do you think um, you know what are the new skill sets that have been you know that are coming out of the types of things that have been happening to us recently um, you know and 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 perhaps not just about the skills perhaps the behaviors it might be worth us having touching on that as well
1: Um. so for me <coughs> I think there's been a huge change to has uh, been definitely been a huge change in what we're looking for in the behaviors of uh, the people driving change. Uh, again, I've mentioned a lot of companies now are putting a lot of formal training behind it, giving them essentially framework of when you're managing change, you have to respect, engage with everyone at every level, you know, really understand your audiences and the personas that you're going for, build a profile of the four ways it's going to impact because you no, know, If I was to say, I'm moving factory A from this location to this location, and I just did it generically, and that was my level of communication, it won't work. It's look at the audience that you're looking at, break them down into subset groups of that's an ally, they're on board. That's actually a bit of an enemy at times. We really need to over communicate and really understand how they're going to do it. So I think, it, I think one of the main behaviors is having the right amount of time to drive change and like, giving it a real people push. Um, mm-hmm. the process really hasn't changed over communicate, be really clear on what you expect of them. Um, and fundamentally sometimes it's going to happen and there is always going to be some people that you can't win over, but I think it's a lot easier to take a message that you don't like from somebody who presents it in a way of like, they do understand, but there's not much they can do. You know, don't shoot the messenger is what I would say is like, really help them to kind of like be a people person, somebody who can listen, uh, really document people's experiences, you know, collate uh, and have like a real feedback process. What I've seen is like change comes, it's like we're changing this and you hear about it once and then it happens six months later. Where's that continuous feedback to alleviate people's concerns at different levels? And I think that's been a big change for me. I've seen that introduced more and more recently.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I lost you a little bit there, Robert. I don't know if it was my side or your side, but I'm just froze. Uh, I, I missed the last thing or the last couple of things that you said then. But do you, do you want to just, can you remember what you said? Can you repeat it? Yeah, so no. what i
1: was saying is I, I've seen in the last sort of like six um, six months to sort of 12 months where we've had this huge element of COVID change. People, uh, businesses move away from uh, communicating once to that constant feedback. Um, an example would be we had daily briefings on COVID from the government. You might not have liked the message, but the message was consistent. It was there at a time you understood it, you know, and sometimes you're never going to like the message, but Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to get this constant feedback of how things evolved. I think Brexit would be an area where I would say at times we didn't have that constant feedback, that loop in. It was like Brexit's going to happen two years later. We're still in this weird situation. Where was that like? monthly, periodic, huge Brexit update from a transport, from a logistics, from an operational sense, I didn't see it, and I felt like I was out of the loop Till suddenly someone said, you've got to comply with this new legislation or this new regulation. Oh, great. I wish I'd have known some steps were going towards it. So I think yeah. that's, that's definitely developed in businesses, the, the idea of like, we're going to change, you're on the journey with us, not what you're going to change, see you in six months when it happens, okay. you're out of the loop. That's definitely become more apparent.
0: Very good very good yeah um Esher, i was just asking about csr so is csr still a thing and how much of this have we been witnessing uh, during these disruptive times and you know, where does the supply chain sit in that
1: role for csr <coughs> i think uh corporate social responsibility I, I was gonna say yeah i was, I was just looking at to be sure yeah. um so how much of this can be witnessed during disruptive times in supply chain roles? corporate social responsibility mm-hmm. um i think it's difficult i think like most businesses you know we are we, we want to deliver on our social promises uh, be it sustainability you know offsetting carbon you know and etc cetera, etc cetera. and it really starts to become difficult when you're not managing the same margin levels you're not managing the same volumes um i think during disruptive times companies that i've seen work really well where they've delayed for example like the launch of a packaging launched something and actually they're having to repull it because they can't get that paper and they need to resort back to the plastic they've used. Just being really clear on the reasons why, um, you know, I'm okay with um, the social responsibility of businesses slipping because I have a personal social responsibility to put my two pennies worth into society. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't, I'm quite relaxed. I don't hold big companies to account for them when they suddenly go from, we're going to do this, to going to do that. And they completely flip a switch on their social, uh, you know, their, their social impact. Yes.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, um, and that's why, right, you know, I've been, I've been talking to a lot of people, uh, a lot of organisations recently around um, how we're viewing uh, sustainability. Um, and you know asking people how, how do they view it? is it CSR still a thing um, is it ESG and environment social and governance is it sustainability um, and I'm finding that a lot of people are actually beginning to really buy into sustainability being the uh, being the word to use because I think people are beginning to understand what that actually really means um, and then really focusing in on okay so how do we Uh, look at ways of trying to reduce an element of carbon out of our supply chains, something we can't do overnight. So, you know, let's baseline it. Let's look at where we are now. Let's start to set some uh, genuinely realistic targets that we can meet. Um, Looking at supply chain diversity, how can we, you know, make our supply chains a little bit more diverse? Uh, Robert picked up, uh, you know, things like health and safety as well and bringing that into it as well. So how can we make sure that our, our our people within our supply chains are well looked after um and and that's really key and then and then there is the whole governance thing about making sure that um whatever we're doing is you know it's open transparent it's ethical um and that's really key as we all know and, uh, as well so um you know but it's it's how can we do that in the environment that we are working in and we have to think about that and you know when organizations do move you know if you're, you're moving your um, supply chain operation from one side of the world to the other is, is doing that analysis and really finding out what's happening in that uh, country that you're moving to and, you know, what do they think about sustainability and how do they operate? I think is is become more and more important. Um, would you say so? Well, it yeah, yeah, definitely. So
1: <clears throat> look back 10 years, the accountability of um, I would say protein providers to the retailers. I think that the idea of farm to fork was a huge thing really understanding where our product comes from we're a very consumer driven species i think at times a bit too much definitely within the plastics the electronics industries um you know but when you actually look at like where you're sourcing your product from and you absolutely know they have that backward traceability not only because of the elements it's going to have on the environment so the cattle but how the cattle are treated how are all the actual staff treated more and more recently I've seen companies approach me on um, health and safety records for my business and product li- uh, like, you know, personal liability kind of thing. So they're not just looking at like, it's a really good product. How do we get it at the right price to get it on the shelves? It's like, how are you looking after your staff? Because yeah. I want to be in relationship with somebody who cares just as much about the product they are selling than the people who are actually creating it. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, very lucky I went for Mars. Yeah. Quality is one of our main principles. Responsibility as well. So again, yeah. being responsible individually and also as a business, but driving that quality. The consumer is our boss, and our associates are our bosses as well. Yeah, um, so yeah.
0: yeah. I think I think a lot of my uh, learners are going to uh, probably get upset with me here, but I think I think um, you will understand, Robert, that you know, particularly working in planning, uh, I think data um, and being a, a good uh analyst of data is becoming more and more important so you so we as supply chain we've got to get our head around numbers um you know and you know, there's a lot of people and you know we, we we shy away from numbers a little bit um uh, and and i think we've got to get much much better at looking at numbers and really working out what that means to us and i'm sure robert that's something that um uh, you do on a daily basis <laughs> it
1: numbers are close to my heart <clears throat> Can I form a can I form a sentence on an email? Well, on an email, well, probably not. I definitely grammar check that and put it through various apps before I'm happy. Give yeah. me a spreadsheet, I'm in heaven. Um, yes. You know, I'm no expert, but I I certainly think the skills of understanding the importance of how data can be transformed into information, and really then providing them the people context behind it. You can have metrics on how many people leave your business. It's just a number. It's great. It gives you a steer, but what is actually now the context behind it, the commentary. So I'm really looking when I'm looking for an analyst, I'm looking for somebody who is broad perspective, um, understands if you drop a, a stone into a sea, you see the ripple effects, go chase the ripples as well. Don't just drop the data go see the impact of that data and the trends we can form from it. Um, that's, been, yeah, that's been hugely important. And I, you know, at heart, I'm an analyst. I like to look at numbers and say things are wrong. Um, but I'm not one to point the finger and say, make them right. It's how do we make them right? How do we get them into a transformative state?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm very, ke- ke- um, very, um, keenly aware Robert um you've been talking you've uh, we knew you had already had a bit of a cold and you've been you know propping up, propping up this supply chain talk so thank you so resilience much. <laughs> very resilient very resilient and, and I hope um what we I'm sure we will get Agnes back for uh, a future supply chain talk because I know she had some sort of fantastic things to talk about oh, definitely. Um, and we're feeling really sorry for her because obviously her technology's let her down or um, well, our technologies let them down, but I think it's probably Agnes's, um sadly. So um now um Eshwa, also final question. He had actually asked about research and development. Um Eshwa, keep an eye on the uh SIP's website. We you know if there's any good research and development, we do put things on there. Uh, a lot of universities doing a lot of work on supply chains uh, at the moment um and lots of private organizations as well so but uh, we perhaps will pick it up at a future event um just to say i think the supply chain mug this is, i'm going to do it again i think Esra, i'm going to send you another supply chain mug because you've asked some fantastic questions tonight so you've got two of them now matching pair i'm afraid it's going to be the same color <laughs> um, but uh, you know in future maybe we can have a word to see if we can get some different colours but this is for you okay so I'm going to send it to you congratulations
1: um, and thank you for the questions yeah they were certainly good yeah, um, brilliant.
0: yeah. brilliant and uh, Robert thank you so much for tonight uh, really good really insightful some fantastic stuff coming out of that um, we're going to have the next episode uh, is on the 4th of May I think it's me again actually um, so uh, we're going to be looking at the end-to-end supply chain stewardship uh, which I think will be uh, very interesting um, on the 4th of May. So please come along um, and, and attend and tell your friends uh, to come along as well, because, um, I, you know, I think we are talking some really great um, and, and very experienced people with some great ideas. So, yeah. You know, so again, thank you very much, Robert. Um, all the best. Hope you have a, a nice evening. I hope your cold gets better soon.
1: Certainly. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you for having me on. And again, thank you for the questions. Yeah, it's been. Been really good thank you
0: brilliant all right um take care everyone and um, stay safe everyone speak to you soon bye bye